Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. This morning, I'm so excited about the message that we have. We're going to go straight to the Word. If you have your Bible with me, you can open up to Matthew 3.16. Matthew 3.16, it reads like this. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Pause. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry might be the understatement of the century. If I preach too long, you will be hungry. Okay. 40 days and 40 nights of nothing. Important to remember, Jesus was fully God, but also fully man. He wasn't just hungry. He was, I think this is probably one of the most vulnerable moments we see Jesus outside of the cross. And the tempter came to him and said, if these If you are truly the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This morning, I wanna ask you a question. How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment? Uh, I don't know if you've ever had something happen to you that was unexpected, maybe something you didn't see coming. A true story, 2017, July 4th weekend, my wife and I, at this moment, were living in Southern California, and we all decided to go to the beach for, for the weekend. Now, we lived in Palm Springs, which is two hours away from LA, so we all rented an Airbnb and went out to the beach, and we got there the day before, and we went to our favorite coffee shop. And I will never forget, okay, July 4th weekend, it is jam-packed, it's hot, it's sticky. We're in a coffee shop. There's like 80 people in a shop. There should have been 40. We go in, we get our coffee, we make our way to our seats. She gets her book out, I get my book out. And as we start reading, I can't help but notice that her coffee is just like shaking just a little bit. At first, I thought her leg just hit the table. But within a matter of seconds, the entire coffee shop began to violently shake. Now, let me give you some context. If you don't know me, I'm born and raised here in South Louisiana. It's like, I do hurricanes. I'll do flood with a John boat. But an earthquake, I'm not built for that. Okay? This is not built. That's not me. The whole thing started violently. I actually thought God was coming back. I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is where we go. it It was hectic. The barista yells, don't panic. The bookshelves are falling over. Coffee mugs are breaking on the floor. True story, honest to God. There was an Asian guy sitting next to me that grabbed me and started yelling at me in Mandarin. I grabbed him, I'm praying for him. I'm like, Jesus, please, God. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And as soon as it came, just as quickly as it came, it left. It was, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. It was, it was insane. Like babies were still crying, lights were still swinging. It was crazy. And I remember grabbing my wife's hands in that coffee shop and telling her, That was not what I expected. Have you ever had a moment in your life where something happened and you thought, this isn't what I expected? I think oftentimes our relationship with God can be this way. You get saved, you start coming to church, maybe you joined us for our five days of prayer, 
and you're believing God for something and you hear pastors preaching about restoration and miracles happening, but that's not actually the experience that you're having. You get saved and you start showing up and you're expecting God to move in a huge way in your life, but it's not actually your experience. There's this disconnect between what you thought God was going to do in your life and the reality of what he's actually doing. And I think it's oftentimes in this gap that disappointment begins to take over. What does disappointment mean? Disappointment means to fail to fulfill hopes or expectations. Disappointment is when what we planned for, what we prayed for, what we hoped for is not what is standing in front of us. I have some good news for you this morning. I believe Jesus had an opportunity to deal with disappointment. In the story of reading, Matthew 3.16, the Bible says that the heavens opened, God speaks and says, you are my son with who I am well pleased. Pause. Okay, this moment is like so special. It's a father claiming a son. It's the first time in the Bible that we hear the audible voice of God speaking to Jesus and what is in his voice is it's, it's a loving father. God's saying, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm pleased with you. This is like such a special moment. This is amazing. What, what comes after? Let's keep reading. What's next? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. God is the Spirit, so they're talking about God here. Then Jesus was led by, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested by the devil. That is different. Like when you read them back to back, it, it seems odd. In one moment, God is saying, I love you, I've chosen you, you are mine. And in the very next, he's sending him to be tempted and tested by the enemy. It, it actually doesn't make sense. And as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of the many moments in my life where what God had spoken to me didn't match up with what was standing in front of me. And this morning, I want to remind someone here that just because you feel like the enemy has attacked you does not mean that God has not affirmed you. We gotta be very, very careful as Christians that every time we begin to experience a wilderness moment, every time we begin to experience something uncomfortable, that we don't say, God must not be with me. If you read your Bible, you actually see the people that experience the most suffering are God's people. The promise that we have as believers is not that we don't go through storms in life. The promise that we have is we never have to go through the storm alone. That's why the psalmist David, one of my favorite verses he says, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus is much more than someone who just saved my life. He leads my life. That means he's with me on the mountaintops. He's with me in the valleys. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but the same God that is with you here at church at 9 a.m. is the same God that's with you. When you feel like, God, where are you? God is with you. So this morning, I wanna give you Two ways that I believe we can overcome disappointment. Two ways we overcome disappointment. The first one is you have to hear God's voice. This is prayer. How many of y'all joined us for our five mornings of prayer and fasting that we just did? It was amazing. It was phenomenal. Coming here, being intentional, turn your phone off, showing up expectant to hear from God. And I believe when you hear God's voice, you discover his will. It's how you figure out what is God's will for my life. I love Romans 12. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Uh, four years ago, my wife and I moved from here to Southern California and 
our pastor, Pastor Jim Lafoon, you know, he was really praying with us when we left, and he said, you know, what we'll do is we'll do annual check-ins to see how long you guys are gonna be there, when you're gonna come back home, where, what's your next move, what's that going to look like? I remember we had been to California for about six months, and we were ready to come home. Okay, living in California for six months will make you want to come home quick. And uh, I remember at the end of that year, we got a phone call from Pastor Jim, and he said, Joseph, how you feeling? said, I'm feeling like it's time to come home. I said, well, have you prayed about it? I said, well, no. I said, Joseph, you're, you're not ready to come home. Y'all need to stay another year. Okay. So then we go into year two. And we are doing ministry. We're being faithful. We're serving. We're doing everything God's called us to do. But this time we're praying. Year two comes to an end. Pastor Jim calls, he says, Joseph, how you feeling? I said, well, we've been praying. I said, it's time to come home. He said, what if I told you to stay in California another year? I said, I don't think that's the Lord, no. I don't think we should do that. I just, I don't, I, that, that's not what I'm hearing. I don't know. It's a disconnect here, brother. I'm talking to a different person. And, uh, I'll never forget, he said, Joseph, I hate to tell you this, but y'all aren't ready. Okay, we hang up the phone, now we're going into year three. And year three was one of the most difficult years of our life. If you heard our story, that's when we had miscarriages, we were so difficult, we're far from home. It was hard, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult. We come back for Christmas break, and it was always so hard coming back home because you come back home and you see family, you know, you're eating hamburger steak at Fizo's, you got boudin at Hilo's, plate lunches at Earl's. It's like, this is, like, I'm, in, I'm in heaven, like I'm home, it's family, it's my mom, my dad. Like it's my wife and I wanted to have kids, we wanted to be home, like our heart's desire was to be here. And I remember getting on the airplane, uh, December 28th, flying back home, coming to the end of year three, and I remember like just silently crying, and my wife's sitting next to me. And I remember looking over at her, and she was just silently crying. (laughs) And I remember thinking, God, I need to hear your voice. And I grabbed my wife's hands and said, we're gonna pray. And guys, I don't know how else to explain it other than By the end of that five-minute prayer, it was like there was a switch that was off that got flipped on. And when we came out of that prayer, we started saying, what if if we're called to California? Like, what if this is where we're supposed to actually, like, serve for good? Then it went a step further. Then it was, what if, like, what if we go overseas? Like, what if we just become missionaries? Then it went a step further, like, What if God's will and God's calling on our life isn't actually a location or about our preference? What if it's just like we get to preach the gospel for the rest of our lives and wherever God takes us, he takes us. And for the first time in my life, I remembered, oh, that's what Paul's talking about. Romans 12, 
Okay, that's what he's saying when he said, present yourself as a living sacrifice. In other words, my life is not my own. All I want is what you want for me. This is not like my will. God, I wanna serve your will. Can I tell you when we get disappointed is when we try to get God to serve our will and at some point we stopped asking him, what is your will? And I tell you, the moment the plane touched at LAX and we got in our car and drove back to the desert, we loved the people that aggravated us. It was nuts. Like, it was, it was the craziest thing. Like, we fell in love with the city. Like, we were passionate about making an impact. We were grateful that we even got to do this. Who gets to do this? This is amazing. Oh, my gosh. I get a phone call December 29th. Pastor Jim said, Joseph, how you doing? I said, Pastor Jim, we're doing great. He said, what if I told you you needed to stay in California for another year? So, Pastor, I'll go wherever God sends us. We're just genuinely happy we even get to do this. So, Joseph, you ready to come home? <laughs> you can clap right there. So that's a good moment. But the moment it stops becoming about my will, my preference, what I want, oftentimes we get disappointed and we get upset with God because he's not serving what I signed up for. Let me remind you, the God that you serve, the Jesus that we serve, was murdered on a cross for radically loving people. This, was not a, this is not like any religion that starts with the cross can never be about preference. Let's start there. This is not about preference. This is not about convenience. This is every day waking up, falling on your face, and saying, God, all I want to do is be a living sacrifice. Your will be done. What did, what did, uh, what did the disciples Asked Jesus, they said, how do we pray? What did, what did Jesus tell them? Matthew 6, 10, he said, you pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Like whatever you want, wherever you want to send me. I do this thing, I started doing it when I, when I moved back home to where anytime I go somewhere, I go to Reds a lot, I like to play basketball. And before I go in, I always just say, God, use me, if I can just speak to somebody, just use me. And every single time I do, without a doubt, I always have a God opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Do they always receive it? No. Is it sometimes awkward? Absolutely. <laughs> I've been kicked off a lot of pickup games really quick, but it's his will. Whatever you want, this isn't about me. I gave up me that day on that airplane and I picked up the will of God. God, all I want is your will. How do you deal with disappointment? The first thing you have to do is you gotta understand his will. That's the first thing that happens when you start praying. You start praying, God starts speaking. The issue is never that God is not speaking. Oftentimes, it's we're not listening. The Bible says that if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. If you have not heard from God lately, when's the last time you drew near to him? Okay, the first thing that prayer is, it's his will. Second thing that prayer is, it's our weapon. Prayer is our weapon. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but um, I'm 30, so I'm, I'm in the younger generation of people here. We kind of are a little like self-focused, self-centered. It's about us a little bit. Is, any, is that a news flash? Is that breaking news here this morning? And in 2015 is really when I got like radically saved, like actually like no turning back. I'm running headfirst towards this thing. And I started reading a lot. Like I started consuming. And I started reading a lot of authors that were my age, a lot of, a lot of books on prayer, and I realized something, that all the books written by authors my age, prayer was all about peace. 
and stillness and how to experience the solitude of who God is. And I want you to hear me, I wanna be very clear. Peace is a person, his name is Jesus. I absolutely believe in peace that passes all understanding. Two weeks ago, we got a call. I showed up to Lord's uh, to pray for someone who had cancer. I'm always thinking someone older. I walk in, it's a 32-year-old guy. He's terminally ill and walked in and literally it was like fear and anxiety was in that room and we began to pray and the Holy Spirit fell and it was like peace that would make you weep. Peace is a real thing. But then I got in my dad's library and I started reading his books. Now, he doesn't have any book that was written past the 70s. So it's all 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s. So I started reading these books. And I realized prayer is a weapon. Like, prayer was actually meant for warfare. I realized that when you got saved, you became a citizen of heaven, which means that you're an enemy of hell. I realized that the problem with most Christians today is there's a one-way fight happening. The enemy's fighting you, and you're not fighting back. That's why you have church people like prayer warriors like Pastor Randy who's had the revelation of what prayer is meant for so he goes to battle for people who don't have a revelation of what prayer was meant for. So you have 50 people praying for peace and serenity and then you have a person that's waking up every morning battling the enemy on their behalf. Does this make sense? Some of my earliest memories as a child and it's crazy now because I have a son, he's one years old, 15 months. At what point do you stop saying months? One and a half, two, I don't know. And uh, my earliest memories, man, I'll never forget. My, my parents used to have a house right across from the Cajun Dome and my dad would, you know, you wake up early as a kid and you run out and he'll pick you up and he'll walk around with you. And my earliest memories, like earliest thing I can think of is him holding me, walking around our coffee table and he would violently pray. Like, if I was not awake by the time I ran to him, I was by the time he put me down. And like, I remember like, him rebuking the attack of the enemy on my life and him grabbing my feet and praying that wherever I go, that favor follows my footsteps. And him declaring Jeremiah 29, 11, and him beginning to quote scripture and God's truth over me. And literally praying against the enemy. It was offensive. It was not defensive. I never heard a prayer on peace. I never heard, let him feel still today. I heard that the enemy has no hold on him. That you don't know the future. All you know is the past. You don't know where this boy is going. You have no hold over his life. So guess what I'm doing now with a one-year-old? Pick him up in the morning. I'm walking around and I rebuke the attack of the enemy, and you have no hold over this boy. He will serve the Lord. I thank you for Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. So I'm praying those things now. I'm using prayer, what it was designed for, which is a weapon of war. If you read the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts and you go look in the beginning of Acts, it's all about the church being established. It's really cool. If you, if you wanna see like how that happened, you, you have to go read the first three or four chapters. And there is a basic message in the early church. This was Paul's message to the early church. Powerful. We are under instruction to change the world. Once you've been rescued from it, you'll need power to become a threat to it. Power is our key to victory, and prayer is the pathway to power. Okay, I'm gonna read that one more time, because you guys are looking at me like you didn't hear it. 
We are under instruction to change the world. That's our assignment. We're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Once you've been rescued from it, salvation, you'll need power to become a threat to it. Power is the key to our victory and prayer is the pathway to power. Prayer was never meant to be a spiritual melatonin. Prayer was never meant to be sleepy time tea that you take. You are under attack. Newsflash, is your marriage under attack? Is your finances under attack? Are your children under attack? It's the attack of the enemy. It is a spiritual battle. If you are not fighting forward, you are falling backwards. I've never met someone that has been overwhelmed and overcome with disappointment and frustration that their daily life was, God, I don't even care what I do. It's all about your will and waking up every morning and attacking the enemy. It's hard to be disappointed when that's your position. It's hard to be frustrated with God when that's your posture as a believer. Very difficult. First thing you gotta do is you gotta hear God's voice. The second thing you gotta do is trust God's voice. Now I work with teenagers, so I've had this understanding that just because they are hearing doesn't mean they're listening, digesting, and trusting. And all the parents of teenagers said, amen. Trust God's voice. I believe this is what we see in the story we're reading. In the story, God speaks to Jesus, and he says, Matthew three seventeen. You are my son in who I am well pleased. And then immediately he's after, he's sent to the wilderness. And do you know what the very first thing the enemy tries to do? He tries to devalue God's voice. Tries to cause some trust issues. Look what the enemy says here. Matthew 4, 3. If you are the son of God, pause, if. Maybe I misread Matthew three seventeen. Let me see. Okay, you could go back to Matthew 3, 7. Beloved boy, this is my beloved son. In other words, you are my son, okay? Go to Matthew 4, 3. If, God even said that, if you are, if. Have you ever had a moment in your life where God speaks something to you? You get a promise from God. Maybe it's been here. Maybe you came and you were filled with doubt and you got a promise. My children will serve the Lord. My children will serve the Lord. My children will serve the Lord. And you get in your car, And by the time you leave this building and show up to work, all of a sudden, doubt and insecurity begin to get a hold of you. Can they really do this? I don't know, they're in like a really rough spot and it's just like really troubled and like I I know what God's promised to me, but it's not what I'm seeing right now. Have you ever come to church? Maybe this was prayer and fasting for you and marriage has been rough, but God gave you a promise of restoration because marriage is God's design, it's a covenant. If he gave it to me, he'll restore it. I know this is him. No, I know this is God. God's given me this promise. But then you get in the car and you start driving and doubt and insecurity. And I don't know if I can do this. We've been to so many marriage counseling sessions and this is so hard. And Has anyone ever been there before? Yes. Okay. I want to be very intentional to pause for the cause of calling out the enemy. What I just described is called a spiritual attack. Okay. The enemy only has one weapon. He's a liar. He doesn't know your future. He only knows your past. God's not giving him authority to see your future because God is the only one who creates. So the enemy is the only one that knows your past. So the enemy's not strategic. He's stupid. Because I'm reading this. Last night, I'm reading this scripture. Okay, let me see. If you are the son of God, turn the stone into bread. Where have I seen that? Why do I feel like, oh, Genesis. 
Let's go to Genesis 3. Well, y'all know Genesis, Adam and Eve, the tree, the fruit. No one knows Genesis. We gotta go back to Sunday school, okay? God created Adam and Eve, said you can eat of any tree you want, anything. They are in Destin, Florida, sunny 75 in June, no humidity. It's beautiful. The only thing you can't do is eat of one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the enemy shows up. What does he say? What does he say? Did God actually say? Strategy is when you attack from different points. Stupidity is when you attack from the same angle repeatedly. There's no strategy here. How do we respond in moments like this, Pastor Joseph? What do we do? Jesus shows us here in Matthew 4.4. Once again, bringing context to this moment. He is not eaten or drank anything in 40 days and 40 nights. He was fully God, but fully man. So he's exhausted. He's dehydrated. He's, he's, he's at one of his lowest of lows. And the very first thing that comes out of his mouth, this is his response to the enemy. It is written. In other words, my father says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was so in tune with his father's voice that he never compromised his value. He was so connected with his father. Can I be honest with you this morning? The reason I wake up early every morning and read my word and pray is not because I like waking up early. It's because if I don't know my father's voice, I will never know my value. When you don't know your value, you end up settling for less than you should. You end up compromising when you shouldn't. That's why we have a generation of young people that are giving themselves away. That's why we have a generation of young people who sexual morality is just a normal thing because they don't understand their value. It's not because they like how it makes them feel when they go home at night. It's because when you don't know your value, you end up compromising and giving yourself away. When you don't have a revelation that you've been bought with a cost, then you give it away for free. You have to trust God's voice at Jesus' lowest of low, at one of his hardest, toughest moments. When the enemy showed up knocking, the first thing he said is, it is written, my father says. At the lowest of low, he held on to this. Everything's gonna change. My marriage is gonna have ups and downs. My kids are gonna have ups and downs, but this will never, ever change. It is written, I'm holding on to this. This is my foundation. I don't know how many of you know my story, but um, I am a PK, that means pastor's kid. So much of my life looked like this growing up. I was at every healing seminar. I was at every church service, church on Wednesday nights, you know, worship team rehearsal on Thursday nights. I mean, church was my life. It's crazy now, because now I have a son. So I get here early and I put him in the back and I just kind of set him down and he's just watching. I'm like, this is wild. You know, when you have kids, you just start seeing life through a whole different lens. And I never had an issue with like disappointment, like being frustrated with God. My parents married faithfully. I was raised in like the ideal household where I was told, I love you, I'm proud of you. I had no self-esteem issues. I'll say that. And then September 11th, 2015, my entire life changed. 
started out just like a day like any other. Me and my younger brother, I'm one of five, we're all four years apart. It's really cool. I was telling Pastor Caleb earlier, he has a bunch of sons that are younger. And when you get older, you become best friends. So that's the cool thing. Like when you're younger, you punch each other in the face and you get older, it's like, I love you, man. You know, she wasn't worth it. You know, there's someone better. Don't even worry about that, you know. And me and my younger brother, Wesley, we, uh, we worked at my grandmother's furniture store. It's unpainted by Louise, right next to Twins. It was there for 40 years. And we used to uh, build furniture together, nine to five, Monday through Friday. And we clocked out of work that day at five and I went to walk-ons to get a burger and he went to his buddy's house. And at about 6.45, I was walking out of walk-ons. And as I'm walking out of walk-ons, I just see a crowd of people, like a crowd of people in the middle of the road between walk-ons and the Grand Theater. And it wasn't good. I didn't know what it was, but it wasn't good. People were freaking out. People were crying. And as I got closer, a guy turned around. I'll never forget it. And he said, he's dead. I pushed through the crowd. And in the middle of the street was my 21-year-old brother who got hit by a motorcycle and died. And I'll never forget being so disappointed with God. Like, this isn't what I signed up for. Hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is, this is not it. That set off a very dark time in my life. I turned to drinking heavily, I turned to drugs heavily. I wanted nothing to do with God. I stopped attending church. I threw away every Bible I had. I literally wanted nothing to do with this. This went on for about eight months. And then one day I get a text from a California number, 760. It says, hey, you don't know me, but my name is Obed Martinez. And I'm coming preach at the Bruce R campus tonight. And you really need to be there. And I showed up and I sat on the front row and he spoke a message called, you can still get there on broken pieces. And I will never forget just weeping. Just weeping. Because for the first time in my life, I had the realization that God's plan for my life doesn't require me to be good enough. Doesn't require me to have it all together. It doesn't even understand or, or it doesn't even require me to understand why that happened. He only asked me to do one thing. Trust me. Just trust me. That was September. Oh no, that wasn't September. That was eight, nine months later. Now we're in 2016. I, I left there. The pastor, Pastor Obed, he got coffee with me the next day. He said, you need to get out of here. This is not a good place for you. Um, God is so good, man. It's crazy. He said, you need to get out of here. I got on a plane, left. And I can honestly say I never looked back. I never looked back. And last, and last year, I was able to dedicate my son, John Wesley, who's named after my brother, right here. And I had this moment to where I'm standing, this is where we had Wesley's funeral, so I'm standing at the place where his body was, 
And I'm standing at the same place that I was weeping six years ago. And I'm holding my son, named after my brother, and we're praying for him. And it's like, imagine if I would have stayed in that disappointment. Imagine if I would have said, no, this is it, I'm done. I'm throwing it away. The story's done. None of this is real. I'm not doing it. But I made a decision to radically and recklessly trust God when it didn't make sense, when it wasn't easy. And if this thing is about walking by faith and not by sight, then I'm not gonna be moved by what I can see. I'm not gonna be moved by what I can do. I'm gonna stand on what's already been done. That 2000 years ago, Jesus sent his son to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And I'm gonna stand to what I know to be true. Had I not made that decision to recklessly abandon everything and just say, God, I'm giving it to you. I don't know where I would be today, but I promise you I would not be here. I promise you that. And this morning, I know there are people that find themselves at the crossroads. You're at this point. And let me just help you. There comes a moment in life where if you hold on to hurt too long, you don't hold on to it, it holds on to you. If you've ever met people that are just so hard-hearted and people that have just bought into disappointment, and I guess this is how it's supposed to be. I guess this is just it. I'm giving up. Eventually they become those people that you say, what happened? I'm so, so grateful that God sent literally an angel when I was at a point of I'm done. This morning, this can be your opportunity. This is your moment. With every head bowed and every eyes closed. If you were here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, if I can be honest, that's me. I've been so disappointed. I've been so hurt. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought it was gonna be. This isn't, my marriage is not what I thought it was gonna be. My kids, like I, I, I'm, I'm just been holding on to this for so long. This morning, if you're ready to say, God, I trust you, I'm letting go. I'm giving it to you. I'm done. I can't hold on to this any longer. If I hold on to it, it's gonna start holding on to me. If that's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed, I just wanna pray with you. On the count of three, if you just lift your hands. One, two, three. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, hands up all over this place. I see you, 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 I see you. I see you in the back, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, you can put your hands down. Father, right now we pray that you come and you comfort the brokenhearted, those that are so brokenhearted and have been in this place of disappointment for so long. I pray that you bring peace that passes all understanding, that lets them know that in spite of the storm, you're still there with them. And Father, I pray those that feel like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how to get up and have hope again. It might hurt to have hope again. I thank you that you're coming and you're bringing strength to those that are weary. Father, you're having those people that have been sitting down for so long, you're giving them strength to finish the race, strength to run the race that you've called them to run. I thank you that today you are giving them courage to have hope again. And for the second group here, you're saying, Joseph, I hear you talking about God. I hear you talking about Jesus. But if I can be honest, like, it's never been me. I'm not a religious person, but I do know I cannot continue living the way I've been living. 
2021 was the worst year of my life. I can't have it again. I want a relationship with Jesus. Like, I want to be a citizen of heaven. If that's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed. On the count of three, if you would just raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, two, three. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, hands up all over. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray a prayer that I want you to repeat after me. Church family, can you pray this together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you were the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.